Hello and welcome to the Psychomedia Podcast. I really am Timothy Swan. And I'm Ben Fell, and together we're discussing the funny side of psychology. Woo! Back, together. baby! Yeah! Back in the saddle. <laughs> the saddle of our kind of weird electro tandem. <laughs> I wish I had an electro tandem. It's, it's well, uh, yeah, I guess it's like a regular tandem, but with more LEDs. Um, the advert for it has it ridden by Daft Punk. Or Justice, I can aren't never tell. Are there like four of them? No, there are two of them. Why oh, okay. would I deliberately? <laughs> <laughs> well, that... Uh, never mind. Have you ever seen an Octobike? <laughs> I haven't seen an Octobike, but I want to. Okay, I may have to put a picture in the show notes. Because, uh... There are... A, a ridiculous enough concept. An Octobike has eight bits, but they aren't all like in a line because that would probably oh. topple over really easily. They all point towards the middle and only one person can see oh, it, but everyone I has pedal power. Those. <laughs> I, I have, yeah. I think they should do them in a line and get rowing eights to do them when the <laughs> river's too high. They should just like have a race down Oxford High Street on Octobikes. That would be amazing. Man, the, imagine just the disruption caused by that. Bumps racing on a bicycle. That would be fantastic. Um, I'm surprised that Oxford hasn't come up with it. Yeah, I mean, they did... Um, they do the, the head-on bumps racing, or they used to, illegally, which is where you get two... Ver- Sorry, for those who don't know, um, rowing in Oxford involves everyone, all the boats starting in a long line, and then you have to try and smash into the boat in front of you without being smashed into by the boat behind you. Which, given how um, expensive the boats are, is a really stupid game. <laughs> it is a very stupid game, especially given that the person who wins overall at the end of each uh, like season of racing burns their boat ceremonially in their quad. Um, you wonder why Oxford is associated with like the abuse of wealth and privilege. <laughs> I can't imagine a reason. Um, but yeah, apparently in the olden days, they used, there used to be a highly illegal form of it where two boats would start at opposite ends of the river and just charge towards each other. <laughs> so it's a bit like the punt jousting. Exactly, exactly. But, but there's eight people in it. And it, yeah, I think a couple of people died. And then, <laughs> as with most of these things, it stopped. Anyway... Yeah, um, I was going to say anyway psychology, but that would be misrepresenting the content of this podcast dramatically. I'm sure there'll be some psychology, maybe, maybe. you know, somewhere in there. So, uh, but we've been, we've, as you may or may not have noticed, those of you who are still clinging on, uh, we've been off for a while for various reasons. Um, and this ought to be our triumphal return, but it's probably going to be our kind of scrappy and slightly um, embarrassed return. Because we haven't really prepared anything for this week. Next week, we will definitely maybe have prepared some things for you. Definitely maybe is about right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah. Hey, Ben, do you know what even the show starts with? Um, Can you remember? Oh, it's been a while. It's it's like something to do with back. Like... um, is it no, like we ba- don't do a rap. Baby got That's... back, you know? <laughs> back in black. Um, I could sing we, back. We, do we sing back in black? No. Uh, I think we. If we do more than thirty seconds, we have to pay royalties to uh, ah. an okay, electricity well, we'll transformer. Sing, I'll do less than thirty seconds of back in black. There you go. <laughs> I think you could get away with saying that that could Take be... Take that, you know, ACDC. No money for you. 
Uh, <laughs> well, it's good to see that we're getting a new vendetta started. It's like it's like one of those magazines you used to get as a kid, which had like one component of a dinosaur each week. <laughs> each week we will play a we will present to you a different like like one second from ACDC's Back in Black, and then if you cut the podcasts and play them all in sequence. Essentially, essentially, like this is the audio cryptic crossword for our show, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's collect your own. It's it's like yeah, collect your own MP3, <laughs> an acapella version of ACDC's Back in Black, uh, uh, spread over three hundred episodes. Yeah, first issue free, <laughs> issue seven ninety nine. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We need to start monetizing this podcast, Tim. I'm sorry, but we do. <laughs> the did... Bugle's doing it. We should do it too. <laughs> yeah, haphazard way. Money thrust into our hands at greetings. <laughs> we could try it out. We're meeting one of our fans tomorrow. <laughs> we are. This is true. We, we actually have our first official Psychomedia meet and greet. <laughs> oh, that makes it sound so weird. <laughs> it does. Um I, I, I mean, technically, there'll be sorry. three listeners there, but two of them are just too closely related to us to the count as listeners. Yeah, this is and true. And one I of hope... them probably is anyway. Yeah, I think so. I hope she doesn't ask me to sign anything. <laughs> sign her iPod. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Sharpie writes on iPod because uh, I don't want to mess up my iPod. <laughs> and also, it's an act of supreme ego to sign your iPod, even if you've got, you know, however many episodes of your own podcast on there. <laughs> Tim, if anyone was going to commit an act of supreme <laughs> ego, which sounds like something that should be like legislated by the EU, <laughs> then it would be you. Yeah. No, the show the show starts with feedback. Right. We do have some. It's we quite it's quite feed. old. Um, <laughs> Necessarily. Yeah. Well, there was something from Sam, regular commenter Sam, about your uh, thing about violent video games. If you remember that. Um, Asking, has there been any research on whether playing Farmville makes people more bucolic? Where are the uh, concerned citizens trying to save middle-aged people from the insidious influence of Facebook games? And also, he thought that the statistics was kept at an appropriate level uh, without being overwhelming or otherwise dull. So, well done. uh, Thank you. Regular commenter. And, uh, yeah, uh, the other thing... um, was from Alex Colgan, another, I think, regular listener, if not regular commenter, um, who was inspired by us to start his own podcast. I don't know how much he was inspired by us. <laughs> if these two bozos can knock something together that easily, then so can you. <laughs> well, sometimes it's just about having, you know, the kind of shove to actually get around to doing it. He said, in the highest form of flattery, I've decided to create my own podcast, uh, and it is called If It Moves, Critique It. I'll put a link in the show notes. Ah, um, that's cool. It's a, it's a good it's, name for a podcast. It's good. It's him and two of his friends. I think they're called... I was going to say Ross and Emily. It's definitely Ross. Whether the girl is called Emily might be because I've just got, you know, friend's brain. Uh, yeah. But they have, you know, discussions about media in quite a well-structured way. There's even a quiz. Um, God. And they uh, use the phrase belaboured segue, or Alex does, on account of us. He says, oh, uh, if, uh, if you're worried about me stealing it, I can edit it out. It's like, no. No, no, no. <laughs> no. We like we spreading ha- memes. This is why we need to have a belaboured segue jingle, which I think I did sort of make one for. Yes, I'm not sure if I'm ever going to use it. Okay, fair enough. But uh, no, this is excellent. Oh, good. Do you ever get the feeling that there's kind of like a... Um, sort of a, a snowball effect with podcasting and maybe you could probably plot it out and in say 50 to 100 years 
everyone in the world will be on a podcast. It wouldn't surprise me. Mm. There are certainly more podcasts than I have the inclination to listen to, and I have the inclination to listen to a lot of podcasts. You do. This is true. Uh, um, well, that is excellent. I mean, if either by by leading by example or by just presenting a very very poor version of the podcast medium that people feel <laughs> the need to improve upon, um, then good, all to the good. Yes, I might claim it as our child because I have a you know grandfather podcast in the Monkey in My Back podcast, which spawned mm. us, and then I have a child podcast in the. <laughs> form of tim and max and so <laughs> you know it's just like generations of podcast now well uh, so there's... i think you, you your plot may well be possible to plot there is uh, there is more podcast related semi feedback slash oh, news yeah. um so one of the things to come out of my little jaunt to australia was meeting uh, meeting up with some of the guys from the university of queensland uh, which is a very nice university, and there were the people who were hosting the summer school that I was on. And a couple of the people I got to talking to there have their own psychology podcast um, called Psychobabble. Uh, their website is uh, psychobabble.net. That's psycho-babble, P-S-Y-C-H-O-B-A-B-B-L-E.net. Um and we, there seems to be quite a lot of overlap in the kind of the kind of thing that they're going for. So we are possibly thinking about some kind of uh, trans. Is it? Tra- it's not transatlantic. It's like trans global. Let's call it trans global. That sounds cool. Trans global collaboration with um, with some Australian psychologists. Uh, so that is something exciting to look forward to in the nearish future once we've actually like got back into the swing of <laughs> recording podcasts with you know content <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's get ourselves podcasting first <laughs> you know work from there <laughs> uh but yeah so this is this is exciting news and uh i'm just looking at their website now and it yeah it looks it looks rather good to me <laughs> They better they not do, out professionalists. They do. Um, they do the, the whole show notes thing as well with like uh, with like video video clips and everything. But they were going. They did start before us, which is uh, slightly annoying. <laughs> Technically, we started the day we met. Just wasn't this on the internet. True. Everything. Everything up until the first recording was ca- counts as preparation. I just think of it as episode minus. You know, like a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. The exclusive uh, ones that only we and some select poor <laughs> unfortunate souls got to hear. Yeah, it's like it's like the really, really rough first EP released <laughs> by the band, like on a tape. That's the sort of stuff that I spend my life searching Russian illegal download sites looking for for my favourite <laughs> bands. Ah, how we differ in the things we search for on Russian illegal download sites. I reckon that's a sufficient segue to talk about some of the things we wanted to talk about. Well, so I, I, it's all coming back to me now. I think the next section is, unless you have any more feedback, is generally um, things that what we have done this week. But since A, like we haven't got anything else to talk about, and B, this week actually constitutes about a month. <laughs> um, this is th- this whole podcast is essentially going to be things we what we have done this week. I'm going to try and crowbar in some some studies later on, um, but. Uh, yeah, we'll just have to see how it goes, really. I knew putting media in the name was a useful coverall. <laughs> it is a good point. The media uh, we is adage. We need to add some a caveat to our, if we can't be funny, be interesting. If we can't be funny or interesting, 
just just talk just about movies talk about stuff <laughs> <laughs> oh well i feel that is a severe caveat <laughs> yeah i mean our, our standards are slipping like a penguin on an avalanche kind of thing avalanche <laughs> avalanche yeah okay what? what's That's... funny about that it's a very slippy thing it's an avalanche <laughs> Avalanche. There's no you. That's because you're from the north. <laughs> yes, yes, that, that, that northern bound place at northernmost Birmingham. <laughs> it's less than halfway up. Actually, no, that makes me more likely to be a southerner. It's about... <laughs> the University of Sheffield did some research, right? And they drew this line of the economic north and south, which is the diagonal line, and it goes from Grimsby to Bristol, and it passes beneath Worcester and above Cheltenham. So I am like the least northern northerner it is possible to be, but still a northerner. <laughs> yes, you are. And that's why you say avalanche. <laughs> It does sound quite kind of Yorkshire when you say it. (laughs) I have to say avalanche itself does sound completely incorrect. But anyway, whichever they are, they are slippery, as are penguins. Therefore, a slippery slope. Nailed it! (laughs) Yeah, we'll be be rejected by a a major newspaper before too long. (laughs) Anyway, well, what have you done this week, Tim? What have I done this week? Um... Actually, I did something quite cultural. I went to an art gallery yesterday uh, and looked at an exhibition of uh, paintings by a guy called George Shaw, um, Turner Prize nominated from Coventry. And he paints with uh, an interesting kind of, um, I guess, medium. He uses Humbrol modelling paint, you know, for airfix and modelling on board. Uh, instead of you know oil on canvas and it gives it this really sleek shiny effect and he huh. paints really intricate paintings of mm. the rather rubbish estate where he grew up so he's got this amazing juxtaposition of beautiful paintings of quite uh you know rundown or uninspiring places so it was a really good exhibition yeah and i had that sounds you know really good and there's a cool cafe next door it's like the the only nice bit of coventry um huh. i'm allowed to say that right <laughs> We don't have any listeners there. They don't get the internet. Um, no, um, it's certainly considered by Coventry's residents the only nice bit of country. Apocalyptic um, wasteland that is. I'm not Coventry. sure what else uh, I've uh, done this week apart from. Well, actually, I suppose I could talk about what I'm going to do today, and that relates back because I was looking at my week uh, plans, and I really want to go and see Star Wars: The Phantom Menace in 3D about the only person in the country who really wants to go see it. Uh, uh, Tim, Tim, the world, the world. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where it is at the box office. Well, no, my brother Chris, like, said it was the third best film he's ever seen in a cinema, but I don't know what the f- one and two are. Um, what was I going to say was that... Um, and my plan was, well, I'm busy on uh, Wednesday, and also it'll be busy the cinema anyway, especially if I'm just going to be going on my own. Uh, so uh, when can I do it? Oh, what about Tuesday? And then part of me thought, yeah, going alone to see Star Wars 3D on Valentine's Day. Like, oh, I have I have a level of you know <laughs> things that I am able to do without feeling bad about it. I, I did not sit around on Valentine's Day feeling sorry for myself on account of being single. Um, because I, I sat around on Valentine's Day feeling sorry for myself because I wasn't allowed to eat because I was having an ultrasound that afternoon. But still, it's amazing <laughs> yeah, I mean, what kind of distractions... Can, no. That's that's that I've got a headache, so I'll stab myself in the toe. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I thought, I can't face the judgment of the cinema staff. 
there's a level of judgment that goes one step before, past what I can take, and it's quite a high level. But I think that level is too. But much. you never know, Tim. If you'd gone, if you'd gone, you might have met met like a lady, a lady like person the, in yeah, the cinema the, the, the who is in exactly the same position as you. And I think that if you were to come across someone who not only is in the cinema on Valentine's Day, but is in the cinema watching Star Wars: The Phantom Menace in 3D, because they feel like they have to watch it in order to support the the uh, LucasArts so that they'll produce all the others in 3D. Which is the reason why I'm doing it. Although which is the reason like why that. you're going. If you meet someone else who's going for that self-same reason, then you basically have to get married there and then. Yeah, I'm not sure that View Cinema's Worcester is licensed for marriages. <laughs> Although, I, you know, the new marriage licensing laws that have come in over the last few years have made it easier to get married pretty much wherever you want. You um, probably have to have, like, a, a certain number of, like, Odeon loyalty cards or something. Odeon yeah, loyalty points. <laughs> I, I was actually about to tell a really depressing story. I was going to say, I once met someone who I thought might be my perfect woman. Um, not met. No, observed at a distance. That was the trouble. Oh, no. <laughs> Tim, you know we've talked about this. <laughs> uh, it was all going so well. I was at a concert. Uh, she was singing with her eyes closed to the chorus of one of my favourite songs at said concert. <laughs> uh, the concert ended and I was going to actually say something to her and her boyfriend appeared because he hadn't been with her during the rest of the concert. <laughs> it wasn't good enough for her, Tim. He wasn't good enough. <laughs> Uh, that is sad. Sorry <laughs> I'm sorry. That isn't that isn't really a funny story, but well, um, it's funny in a really really dark Schadenfreude kind of way. Well, yeah, this is the thing: is um, uh, there are some comedies where if you watch them in the wrong frame of mind, you realise how really bleak they are. Yes. So I'm sorry if I've upset anyone. If you've come up, I watched the series one of Spooks at one time when I was not feeling very well. And huh. my goodness me, that is a depressing show. <laughs> you are not really laughing at the jokes, but taking on board all of the depressing bits. Um, yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, um, is, this is good. So you, you are planning on going to see a film. Yes, um, absolutely. Over the, I mean, I think that we possibly mentioned this in the, the, like, the bits that, we did, that we did, I did from Australia. Um, that I have seen an inordinate number of films over the last couple of weeks as a result of two international flights and just getting myself Netflix. Um, (laughs) So there's, I mean, there's no real need for us to talk about all of them, but I will list them. Uh, So I think I'd already mentioned that I'd seen Margin Call, Moneyball, The Ides of March and Wallace and Gromit and Tintin on the way out. Um, I think I only saw Dangerous Liaisons and The Three Musketeers, the new one on the way back and have subsequently also seen Chocolat. Uh, wow, almost the French kick there, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ah, I didn't notice, but yeah, that that kind of works. Um, three just diametrically opposite films, um, <laughs> united by bad French accents. I love Dangerous Liaisons. I think it's a fantastic film. I yeah, I I was very very tired when I was watching it on the plane, and in a kind of that kind of sort of melancholic state that you get at the like 13 hour mark of a 22 hour flight <laughs> um, you can chart your mood on a graph i guess yes and it's a downward slope <laughs> with a tighter than a sudden sudden like le- lift at the end when you're about to land um yeah i thought it was v- a very good film not like a happy film by any stretch of the imagination i mean the basic principle is ab- horrible people doing horrible things to each other um true but uh, yeah, it was good. It was good. 
Uh, um, yeah, I was surprised at how good the th- Three Musketeers was. I've actually. heard it's surprise. Like if you ignore the airships, surprisingly faithful to the book. Yeah, that was the thing. I mean, so there's a couple of interesting-ish things about it. The first is that I, I, I think there are actually multiple uh, Three Musketeers films that I have seen, but they all kind of run into each other, and I forget the difference. There's one, the, the one that has Spike Milligan in. I have definitely seen right um, Spike Milligan and Raquel Welsh, and then some other people. I was going to say, is that the one with Oliver Reed? It could be, but then it could also not be. This is the confusion that I yeah. have. And what I should have done is check this on IMDb. So, but I didn't. So anyway, um, the the new one, apart from the fact that the trailer made it look catastrophically awful, and it's not. Um, yeah, it's it's very much in the same kind of vein, same sort of vibe going on to their previous ones it's very kind of light-hearted very very camp um in a very good way and uh yeah like apart from one person in it who is probably the worst example of acting i have seen in a long time orlando bloom no not orlando <laughs> bloom he was he wasn't great but he was outdone in his awful acting by the girl who's playing like the queen's handmaiden that d'artagnan falls in love with okay she was just just crushingly bad but thankfully she's a relatively minor character and all the rest of the cast were fantastic um there was also a bit in it which was either shamelessly stealing from or uh kind of lovingly referencing um a fistful of dollars the ennio morricone spaghetti western right um I mean, there's always a fine line between shamelessly referencing and that uh, was shamelessly pilfering from and lovingly referencing. Um, and if it was lovingly referencing, then that was amazing because it was worked ridiculously well for like, you know, um, that era of France surprisingly being quite similar to the Wild West kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but no, it was really good. And the airships were pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I think because I'm one of those guys who's just like, adaptations should be faithful. Um, I was kind of a, a take, took against the airships, but I had heard it was really faithful. I caught a little bit of the one that was on film four last night, which is the one with uh, Charlie Sheen as, uh, let's see, Charlie Sheen as Aramis, um, Kiefer Sutherland as Athos, and Oliver Platt as uh, Porthos, oh. and Chris O'Donnell as D'Artagnan. So we've got... uh, with uh, Tim Curry as Richelieu, who is like, he's like the perfect image. He looks like Richelieu. Okay, so the, we've got, we've got, ni- the ni- that's the 1993 one. Yes, and um, I have to say, I do love The Man in the Iron Mask. Which I haven't seen. Oh, you have to see it. Because I really do. There's, my favourite line in it is uh, where uh, Aramis, who I think, oh, I can't remember who, which one of them it is who plays Aramis, um, it's like, the king has asked me to root out the leader of the Jesuits. There is one problem with this. I am the leader of the Jesuits. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, Aramis is, is Jeremy Irons. I, I, thought I have was. to see that. I, I, yeah, so I the saw... Um, Jeremy Irons, your, your secret father. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I definitely need... Oh, Jeremy Irons and... Uh, oh, Gerard Depardieu and John Malkovich. Yeah. I didn't realise the cast was that good. Anyway, so I've uh, just worked out the one that I have seen... Uh, is the one with Oliver Reed. Um, okay. That's what I suspected. Uh, Christopher Lee as Rochefort. Um, and Spike Milligan and Charlton Heston as Cardinal Richelieu. My God. Does he have um, a gun? <laughs> <laughs> he probably asked for one. But uh, yeah, so very, very similar in kind of vibe. Anyway, yeah, but really good. Really surprisingly good. 
Cool. Um, as was the first 30 minutes of Green Lantern, which I, really? I have just remembered I saw. We, we stopped over for four hours in Singapore Airport. And um, we, uh, uh, this was after we, we kind of left Brisbane at two in the afternoon. And it's an eight-hour flight from Brisbane to Singapore. So we were really very tired by the time we got there. But we kind of had to stay awake until we got onto the Singapore to Heathrow flight. Yeah, and uh, Singapore Airport is probably the nicest airport I've ever been in of the like three that I've been in, um, and they have a free cinema, oh, uh, which is a, like a walk-in cinema. Which is, I mean, it's not a, like a nice cinema. It's just basically a projector screen in a dark room. But they were showing um, the tail end of Captain America, which reminded me what a very stupid and not very good film that was. I really liked Captain America. I, the, so the point I wish to make about this will become more apparent. But so it was the end of Captain America, which when you like the the character of Captain America is not one of the more outlandish of the like Marvel superheroes. You know, he's a he's a super soldier and he's like cryogenically frozen. That's not particularly complex compared to something like Thor, yeah. where you've got like he's Norse alien and <laughs> throat, throat, but slight, kind of alien, but kind of also deity like in version of the universe but which is also norse mythology is then like banished and sent to earth where he becomes a scientist except he's still a norse god etc 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 it's just ridiculous and yet i think thor makes a much more coherent film and the story makes a lot more sense and it like it kind of gels together better than captain america which Watching the end of it just seems kind of weird. There are bits of it that I like, but it was just kind of a bit haphazard. And then we watched the beginning of The Green Lantern, which I'd heard and which looked awful. Mm. It was actually surprisingly, like, engaging. Like, again, same thing with The Three Musketeers. It seemed I was really kind of getting into it. And that is just, like, the most out there and wacky, you know, concept for a superhero. Oh, it's yeah. kind of trippy as all hell but yeah seemed seemed to be going quite well so i really want to see the rest of that um at some point when i'm not you know ridiculously over fatigued from flying (laughs) yes um but yeah so basically all of the films that i listed above are amazing uh if, if if you go and if you like any recommendation can be made go and see money uh margin call margin call is astonishing but i think i i ranted on about this probably in the previous one so yeah yeah actually i did remember the film i had watched this week i know i'd watched a film i couldn't remember what it was it was a uh, breakfast at tiffany's oh, quite really? the contrast to the some of the films <laughs> you've seen um, um audrey hepburn is weird she is weird like, yes i was talking afterwards because i'd watched it uh, with my parents because they'd recorded it off the uh, tv who would play the role of holly golightly if they were to remake it now oh that's a who do you think it would be because i have my idea who would it be? Audience is uh, right in. <laughs> that is a tricky one. Uh, let me think about that while, uh, while you give your answer. Okay, my answer, and I'm not saying that it'd be good, but I'm saying that in terms of the character she's playing, Zooey Deschanel. Yeah. Those sort yeah. of characters are just played by her all the time now. Totally agree with you there. I'm, I, I don't know whether I would like it, because I'm... A <laughs> uh, lot of mine, and I think everyone's feelings to Zooey Deschanel, are based on how much you feel like uh, Summer should have uh, been nicer to Tom in 500 Days of Summer. Right. And I'm that's... pleased to say that I haven't seen that film, because although I know it's oh, very, I... very good, 
I yeah, I feel like it's one of those films that you sort of then scars you a little bit inside. It certainly affects the way you feel towards um, towards uh, Zoe Sorry. Deschanel, especially. <laughs> okay. The extent to which you like Joseph Gordon-Levitt having seen his other films. That's the trouble. Meta, I guess the meta-narrative of actors coming into films, which is a quite in-depth way of saying that if you watch a film, uh, what? Oh, I was listening actually to a radio show. I was listening to uh, Will Smith's uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. It's a Radio 4 show where him and his wife, supposedly, Will go Smith, and see a marriage. English comedian, not yeah. Will Smith. Oh, yes. Uh, sorry. Yes, Will American Smith, the English actor. comedian of The Thick of It and... Uh, various other things on the radio uh not will smith willard smith um <laughs> the one from jersey not uh philadelphia there we go <laughs> that's not confusing <laughs> at all the one from real jersey um but yeah um oh now i just want to hear his version of his rap <laughs> in west st helia born and raised <laughs> oh come on <laughs> In the merchant banks like, where I spent most of my days. That, I mean, that could be that could be the story of our, our mutual friend who, um, <laughs> yeah, who's like kicked out of Jersey to come to Oxford. <laughs> oh, this is not really funny to our audience. About <laughs> <laughs> three of them who possibly know who you're talking about. Anyway, we, yeah, we but should yeah, move. The point is that, and I listened to that show, but the trouble is it's really hard to actually engage with the drama properly because my like of will smith the comedian and actor kind of affects my feelings towards his character even when his character is being really stupid and annoying yeah i, I like the thick relate to that i can relate to that a great deal i think this is possibly why uh, my favorite character in all of the lord of the rings movies is boromir because although you know th- he has a lot of positive qualities he is does also do some fairly douchey things but <laughs> i love sean bean so dearly um yeah it, it, it sort of like shines through all the goodness well, it's like 28 days later. Christopher Eccleston is perfectly justified in all of his choices. Is that, <laughs> does that yeah. go too far? Is that the line? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Possibly why... Um, I think... I think why, when you get like, really is. awesome people to play villains in movies, you often find... Especially if you get someone kind of vacuous playing the hero, you often find yourself rooting for the hero because you're just like... Well, like, I suppose technically trying to kill everyone in the universe is a bad thing, but when, when, he, when it's him putting it to you it seems perfectly reasonable i mean this could be summed up in two words and those two words are alan rickman <laughs> this is exactly right uh, oh yeah i've now also, now seen all the diehard films oh cool I my don't... manliness has been steadily progressing <laughs> the last like you know six months in that i've now seen uh all of the terminator films apart from salvation which isn't really a terminator film mm. all of the diehard films all of the alien films apart from resurrection which we don't have to hand and also again it's another one where it's like the fourth one really try and avoid it are you crazy excited about prometheus uh yes because idris elba's in it and uh, idris my, elba my and for idris elba is pretty high isn't <laughs> it also elba Killian murphy and... isn't it uh yeah i think so and and numi rapace um uh, i haven't actually seen any films with numi rapace in yet so i can't like make a judgment on okay it. um but yeah because she's the swedish girl with the dragon tattoo right yes the the original but also yeah. in Sherlock Holmes as an English-speaking character. Yes. Okay. I suppose I shouldn't be surprised that Swedish actresses can speak English, but... <laughs> Better than many English actors in many cases. I mean, I- I'd quite like to see her in a movie that involves her saying the word oven. <laughs> or taco. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you reckon she has two annoying English friends who just try well, and yes. mess up her life the whole Have time? You not- 
Have you not seen um, uh, Sherlock Holmes? Maxie Holmes. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think that is pretty much... In, in the, the Holmes and Watson of our relationship, you are definitely Sherlock and I'm definitely Watson and I'm perfectly happy with that. Yeah. Especially if it's Jude Law. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm more Benedict Cumberbatch than I am uh, Robert Downey <laughs> Robert Jr. Jr. Yeah. Shall I put probably. that vote on the side as well? <laughs> Sadly, <laughs> probably also more, uh, more um, what's his name, Martin Freeman than uh, Jude Law. <laughs> but never mind. Um, <laughs> And when we mean we do have we do have our very own Numira Pass, so that's okay. Um, yeah, terrific. Where were we going with this? I've sort um, of forgotten. Well, I realised I'd watched a movie. Um, oh, I, I, I was trying to get around all the serious business that I'd <laughs> done this week to try and remember that. Um, um, we were going to talk about Elevati. That was the actual thing that we were trying to segue. Well, yeah. So there we were, were there were a couple of things I thought of music. I thought of a good a sort of semi semi good segue, which wasn't Elevati, which we can talk about in a minute. Um, but from your, your art gallery um, jaunt, I I have something which I personally want to talk about that I did this week, which was play a game which has just come out on Steam called Dear Esther. Um, it's like six seven pounds on Steam, and basically, if anyone is he, if anyone is debating with you the question of whether video games are art, simply silently point them towards the Steam page for Dear Esther and refuse to engage in the uh, conversation until they've played it. It's about 70 minutes long um, and is pretty much undescribable. It is, but suffice to say that I played it all yesterday and I don't think any game or indeed any film for a long time has evoked the same level of emotional response in me in a long time. It was really quite breathtaking how how affecting it was. And, you know, the purpose of art is to elicit, well, one can argue the purpose of art <laughs> is to elicit emotions. Um, I'd agree with that. But... There, I mean, there's another definition, which is humans make two things. This is from Yahtzee from um, Zero Punctuation. Humans create two things, tools and art. Tools have a purpose, art doesn't. Um, in which case... That, sure I mean, that's this... a paraphrase of Oscar Wilde. Probably, yes. But he was the one I... Yahtzee was the one I most recently heard. Um, <laughs> and the one I most commonly encounter. Anyway... Steve uh, Fry will play him in the movie. <laughs> No, <laughs> but as far from that as possible. Anyway, yes, games is art. It is. It's. It's a game. It's kind of. It's a weird one. It's kind of a game in the very loosest sense of the term. As in, basically, all you do is is walk, um, around an island in a very set linear path. Um, there isn't very much exploration. Um. And all you all you do is pretty much walk. You hold the W key and look around. Um, and it's more kind of... There are a couple of games that have come out which have tried to do the whole kind of interactive storytelling in the kind of, um, uh, like, Indigo Prophecy. And there was another one by that same developer. And they, they kind of go for all the, like, the quick time events and the kind of really involved stuff as they try and tell the story. And this is completely the opposite. You, you barely do anything. And it's just the game delivering story to you. And that, the, the, the nature of the story that it's describing, combined with the fact that the island you're walking around is 
kind of stunning in its... I don't want to say graphics because that makes you think of just like ridiculous uh, explosions and kind of uh, over-the-top shader effects and lighting effects and everything. It's it's perfectly realized is what it is. It feels like you're on an island in the Hebrides, which is what you're supposed to be. Um, but yeah, anyway, this is all I'm going to say about Dear Esther other than play it. For God's sake, play it. Cool. Did uh, I see on your the your Twitter feed that you'd also be playing the Mass Effect three demo? I have actually because uh, I love Mass Effect. I uh, am a big fan. I basically killed my old computer by forcing it to run Mass Effect when it really shouldn't. Um, so uh, yeah. Well, I can I can. So I mean the the Mass Effect the demo is great. It, uh, Total Biscuit, someone I watch on YouTube was saying it's like an old it's really the old school type of demo. You get a big chunk of content. And the single player demo, there's nothing really to be said about the single player demo because it's, it's like, it's Mass Effect 2, but more story, more of the same, more awesome. Um, so definitely worth a look. What's interesting about it is the multiplayer, because I think a lot of people are quite skeptical about whether they should have been spending time putting multiplayer into Mass Effect because, you know, development time and all that. And it sounded a bit hazy and it's EA, so they're probably going to kind of, just bleed players dry with microtransactions and all this kind of thing. But having played it, it is ridiculous fun. It is so good. Uh, I mean, it's it's a really simple concept. It's just like Horde mode. You and four other people fight off waves of enemies, which is not in any way innovative, but it's really, really slick and really, really fun. And yeah, it's great. So um, do you think your new computer can run? Mass- will be able to run it? Oh, yeah, sure. My new computer is it's unstable but it's an unstable rig in the way that the millennium falcon is <laughs> it, it's it's very kind of fast and powerful um but you know has the tendency to go wrong for no adequately explored reason rather than yeah. by being insufficient to the task <laughs> man this is, this is good I i've like really got to learn mind. in life to come up with some you know other reference points if i ever you know become a successful clinical psychologist which you know one day um I'm going to have to be able to say to, you know, my kind of service users, uh, you know, oh, I think this situation in your life is like X and come up with something relatable. X not be something from the expanded universe. Uh, I'm trying to think. There's 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 X1, which but oh, it was from a PSP game. No one no one cares about that, even if it is technically canon. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Let's. Anyway. I was going to say the fact that, that I can think of something that quickly tells you <laughs> what you spend your days and nights thinking about. Um, yeah. So, uh, dear Esther, Mass Effect Three, great games. Play them. Cool. Um, so we've done films. We've done games. We should probably do some music. Oh yeah, music. This is where this all began. Wait. No. Let's see if I can think of a segue from Mass Effect to Elevati. I'm thinking Warrior Race is what I'm thinking. Yeah. Krogans. <laughs> Krogans are a warrior race. Another warrior race, ironically, given their modern day status, is the Helveticans, uh, the ancient Gaulish people who inhabited Switzerland. Uh, Helvetios uh, is the title of the new Eluviti album. Um, a quick, like, primer or primer, I don't know which one of those is the correct pronunciation on uh, Eluviti. It's, uh, it's pronounced Avalanche. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, um, is that uh, they are they are one of the classic niche niche groups in that they are Celtic folk metal 
Mm. Uh-huh. With, well, I mean, they are uh, specifically, if you want to really get into it, they're Celtic uh, or they're, they're Ga- Gaelic folk death, uh, folk death metal. Um, wouldn't you say death. they were Gaelic folk melodic death metal? <laughs> yep, that too. Definitely. Um, wouldn't death you point melodic. out that they're specifically Swiss Gaelic? <laughs> yeah, Swiss Gaelic melodic folk death metal. And uh, the, the, the folk is true folk, not folk folk. Yes, and you could certainly argue that the kind of melodic death metal they are is Gothenburg death metal as well. Uh, it's certainly heavily influenced by uh, the Gothenburg death met- uh, melodic death metal scene. Music See, I- nerds <laughs> for the win! <laughs> I love genres like that. Well, I'm still waiting for. Uh, oh man, we should we should try and ca- do a do a categorization of Agalok one of these days. Well, I was going to say just... that uh, Fall of Ephrathah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Watership down inspired anti theist post hardcore with post rock elements. Um... Oh yeah, that's that's the good stuff. Um, yeah, me and me and Tim are we we do like our, our over categorization of music. Uh, nerdery it's it's i'm sure you can over categorize more well-known bands oh yeah but i think these guys make it easier for us well i'm yeah. looking forward to clean bandit actually getting like a proper release they're doing a radio one session some point soon which means they'll be popular and stuff but it's like uh soul electronica classical string quartet chamber music plus all in one together <laughs> that's pre- sounds pretty awesome to me is cool um so yeah anyway so uh what is the new elevity album like because i've only heard the singles or the uh, it, well so i um yeah so uh elevity is a band i discovered uh, a while ago i am a i'm a huge fan of folk metal in and indeed a lot of non-metal folk music in all its forms like uh my a couple of my favorite bands are elevity and there's another one called churasas who do the uh, more kind of viking type thing there's also one called a monomath which is means mount doom in the black speech of mordor which is odd because they don't sing about lord of the rings they sing about vikings and nothing else um uh but elevati are one one of those slightly more recent discoveries um and they are what is it they're like a they have like eight members or something well you've um, got two hurdy-gurdies haven't you no you so you've got one? the leads lead singer who also so you've got a guitarist and a bassist yeah. and a drummer. drummer That's sure. about as far as the convention goes. Then you have a lead singer who also plays a variety of pipes, including flutes and recorders. Uh, then you have a dedicated piper uh, who also plays things like bagpipes or variants on that. Then you have a violinist um, and a hurdy-gurdy player, um, which is wins the prize for least heavy metal instrument in the world and yet somehow still manages to look awesome when you're headbanging with it. Anything that you have to wind a small handle on the back of to play, <laughs> you would think wouldn't be very metal, but she, she pulls it off somehow. She, she makes it work. Yeah, when we start our metal band, can I play Music Box? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's about definitely. my level as well. <laughs> Even smaller. Or just like, like barrel organ. <laughs> 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 a little heavy metal monkey on top head banging um yeah so they play they play um kind of uh a mix between very very uh, like heavy growly death metal uh with these um pipes and violins and and hurdy-gurdies uh and all their like their last album um all the lyrics from their songs were 
uh, from inscriptions on rune stones that have been found uh, from this this uh, Hel Helveticans was it? Did you say? I think it's Helveticans, but don't like quote me on that. That may be what the Romans called them, and not what they called themselves, etc. Yeah, uh-huh. so all the lyrics were in the original Gaulish, which is like a language that about three people in the world know how to translate and speak say, and all this kind of thing. Wasn't this the one before last album? Because wasn't oh, it yeah, Evocation yes. is... Yeah. Evocation won the Arcane Dominion, isn't it? The full title? <laughs> <Yeah>. I love <laughs> album titles. But which was they're... an entirely folky album. And yeah, all of these, all these like runestone inscriptions. So pretentious much, but kind of awesome in the same <laughs> yeah. uh, degree. And the new one, which I just got yesterday... Um, is called Helvetius. It, I've got it in front of me. It comes in this very swanky black cover, uh, and yeah, it's really good. Like, I the 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 single that you've seen, "Arose for Epona," has a video. Uh, Epona, as in like the the Gaelic goddess, rather than the horse out of the Zelda games. Yeah, um, I think because I was introduced to Enya before Zelda, uh, which may say something about my life development. I was more acquainted <laughs> with Epona being that way around. Oh, I, I most definitely wasn't. But um, um, as, th- as yeah. they say, Enya before Zelda, except after C. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's really, really good. Um, it's, a, it, I mean, it's like it's it's back to their kind of heavy metal type roots. But they also, you'll be pleased to know that the bonus track on the CD that I have is the acoustic version of A Rose for Epona, um, which is, I figured you'd probably be quite keen on. Um, basically, the way that uh, my like folk metal tastes work is I get the the full albums and then I send Tim all of the acoustic covers and <laughs> like uh, like forty second um, kind of uh, filler tracks between between the actual songs which have all the like instrumental parts in. Yeah, I mean <laughs> I am like I have developed a kind of taste for metal that I didn't have really before I met you. Yeah, but I think it has I, a certain it has quite a low threshold i was just thinking i came up the other day that the band insomnium who is i what i think that's mm. a really good example of this are having a concert in london and i'm like would i travel all the way to london just to see insomnium do the gale which is this <laughs> instrumental intro track that i really love and then n- none of the rest of them they're just a bit too far a bit too hard yeah, for me <laughs> and they probably wouldn't even do the gale although then yeah, like, know, the intro to their new album is kind of in a similar vein but i yeah i have i think that um uh, there, there's uh, you know heavy metal uh, is a massive and broad genre and there is a lot of very very kind of intellectual and complex and interesting music in there but it kind of a lot of it has this kind of barrier to entry which mm. is it you know the the harsh vocals and the kind of the grunts and the growls and things just they're very difficult to get past and i i think basically what happens it's like an acquired taste like it's like when you first start drinking wine, it tastes kind of kind of harsh and unpleasant. And eventually, if you listen to enough of it, you have it, you know, slightly sweeter versions of it. So you with music, this is like listening to bands that maybe have a, a bit of a bit of shouting, a bit of screaming, but then they have mostly clean vocals. Bands like Linkin Park is probably a way that a lot of people in my generation first got into it and kind of new metal and that kind of thing. You kind of build up a, a, a tolerance for it. To the and, and then it becomes you know something that you actually like, um, and then you are exposed to this wonderful, wonderful world of angry 
men with long hair playing very, very loud music. <laughs> yeah, I don't think metal is the only genre where that's the case. I think jazz oh, no. is, and I know you hate oh. jazz. <laughs> no, I, uh, you know, like, as I'm getting older, it's so noticeable how my tastes are both, it, it's weird, my tastes are both mellowing, mellowing, broadening, and narrowing all at the same time. <laughs> that um, makes little to no sense. So, I know. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, like, there's a... Uh, I, I yeah, there's not a lot of jazz that I like, but there's a couple of video game soundtracks that have come out recently, which are um, uh, probably close enough to jazz to constitute going in that section. That's one thing I did want to mention about Dear Esther. The soundtrack is basically a one long post rock album, very very ambient, but very very good and lots of like uh, monastic chanting and things. So even if you don't like the game, get the soundtrack Tim because it's <laughs> right up your street. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I will when I have the funds. Well, I'll put it on my Steam wish list and then it'll come on sale in, you know, mm. a month or something or six months. I imagine so. Um, that's my solution to any game issue. It's like, well, I could buy this game or I could stick it on a price notification <laughs> <laughs> and buy it when it's half price or less. Yeah. And that's why everyone now owns L.A. Noir because it's <laughs> nine pounds. So many like Steam sales, man. They're just they're, they're bad. I have so many games that I will probably never get around to playing. Uh, yeah, well, my, I have them. My, my gaming kind of time has gone down. Likewise, uh, tragically. Which is, well, I, I think tragically might be a bit strong, but <laughs> certainly as regards Old Republic where I'm paying a subscription, I'm sitting there thinking... Yeah. I know that I should, well, not should. You shouldn't feel that you should play a game. I know I'd like to play it, but man, is TV just so much easier. <laughs> you don't have to yeah, level in TV. Always, you can always cancel your sub for a couple of months and then come back to it, or a month. Yeah, well, I, you know, we'll see how it goes. That's not really that interesting, is it? Do you want to quickly talk about, like, ten minutes of psychology? <laughs> we could talk about some psychology, I suppose. Um... You know, just like the minimum recommended daily allowance. <laughs> for this for this not to just be called the media podcast. We had a couple of jokes, I think, somewhere. <laughs> somewhere in there. Um, well, yeah, so uh, there were a, a few things that I... Uh, vaguely psychological, basically, that have come out of this, this Australia trip. Um, which was awesome and amazing and probably the hardest I've worked in years. Um, it was the five days that we actually spent at the... Uh, in, on this summer school just like we were split into streams and my stream was on emotion uh, which isn't exactly my specific field of interest but i chose it and it was amazing it was really really good and really interesting and i've now basically the other two streams had between two and six articles that they had to read before the summer school and then the structure of their course was kind of very open lots of you know very open discussions and they all the groups had this this aim of presenting on the final day a, a kind of three to five study proposal for some question that they wanted to answer. And we were kind of in small groups working on these throughout the week. And then these other two groups also had these two or two to six articles that they were using as kind of a basis for discussion. Our group had 29 articles to read before we came to the summer school, <laughs> a presentation to do on the first day. And, uh, and we each had to lead a 20-minute discussion on one of those 29 articles. Um, I didn't know this before I chose the stream. I also barely knew this before I actually arrived in Australia um, because I was an idiot and didn't 
fully digest the material that was sent out beforehand. Um, so yeah, it was kind of intense, but it was like a really good overall introduction to kind of emotion research in social psychology, which was really cool. Um, so there's like two, two different things that I could talk about about this. One is a couple of the studies that came up over the course of the week. Um, two specifically, which were, you know, there isn't really any point to them. It's just they're two really awesome studies, which I feel everyone should hear about. And the other is my, my group's presentation and proposal for the studies at the end ended up being, I think, a really cool idea, but utterly, utterly impractical in terms of the amount of resources that you need to sink <laughs> into it and also relates to the Guitar Hero games. Um, okay. So, <laughs> Quickly, Kim, take, which would you like? <laughs> I was going to say, quickly mention the studies, but let's hear about the presentation because uh, we can always okay. talk about the studies at a later date. This is true, and they would probably both of them it'd be excellent fodder for uh, like a future podcast. So the first one is um, uh, a paper by one of the two guys who were leading our stream, a guy called Tom Denson, uh, who was awesome, as was Brian Little, the other guy who ran the stream. Uh, shout out to those guys. They're amazing. It was a really good stream. Thanks, guys. Um, anyway, he, uh, Tom Denson gave a presentation on uh, some of his research, and one of the studies that he talked about is called The Angry Brain, <laughs> Neural Correlates of Anger, Angry Rumination, and Aggressive Personality, which is a really interesting study and um, has lots of cool things in about about how you know how anger functions and how there's sort of different kinds of anger and people have people can have angry personalities in different ways and all about kind of self-regulation and this kind of thing all very interesting stuff well worthy of discussion which i'm going to completely ignore um for the fact that uh in order to run these studies they had to induce anger in their participants specifically induce anger whilst they were in an mri scanner and in the article, I'm, I've got it in front of me now, the, the section in the method uh, describing this is called the provocation procedure. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the thing about this was the way that uh, uh, Tom Denson described it in his presentation. Uh, he was the guy uh, talking to the participants down the intercom into the MRI scanner. And he, this was how the provocation procedure was administered. Basically, they had to... Uh, they were given in the scanner these really, really difficult anagrams, like very, very, almost impossible to solve by normal people, um, and asked to solve them and give their answers over the intercom. And basically, there were three levels of provocation. The first one was just um, Tom saying, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Uh, the second one was, no, seriously, speak louder. I really can't hear you. And the third one was, look, this is the third time I've had to say this. Can't you follow instructions? And apparently by the second time, most participants were just yelling. And yeah, then by the third time, they just got sort of irate. Huh. And I just love this. You know, you're, you're a participant who's in an MRI scanner, which is not the most comfortable or pleasant experience at the best of time. You're being given these really difficult anagrams to do, and then you're being kind of heckled by the guy on the other end of the microphone and uh yeah wonderful i mean not as bad as the corn snake in the scanner but still pretty bad yeah um so that was one and then the other study was uh just came up in discussion as by adams Wright and lore 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 something like that l-o-h-r and it's called is homophobia associated with homosexual arousal and this is just it, it's a pretty perfect study in terms of 
just sort of pop psychology appeal. Um, I might actually just read out the abstracts because that's probably the, the best way of conveying it. Go for it. The authors investigated the role of homosexual arousal in exclusively heterosexual men who admitted negative affect towards homosexual individuals. Uh, participants consisted of a group of homophobic men and a group of non-homophobic men. They were assigned to groups on the basis of their scores on the Index of Homophobia, Hudson and Ricketts, 1980. The men were exposed to sexually explicit erotic stimuli consisting of heterosexual, male, homosexual and lesbian videotapes, and changes in penile circumference were monitored. Sorry, it's really immature that I laughed at the word penile, but there we go. Um, they also completed an aggression questionnaire. Both groups exhibited increase in penile circumference to heterosexual and female homosexual videos. Only the homophobic men showed an increase in penile erection to male, male homosexual stimuli. The groups did not differ in aggression. Homophobia is apparently associated with homosexual arousal that the homophobic individual is either unaware of or denies. Is that not a wonderful study? That's putting a bit of science on some psychodynamism, really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking we should. this should definitely be one for the possible episode we do on Freud. Because yeah. it's just, yeah, it's, it's right on there. He'd have been a huge fan of this. I'm sure he would have done. <laughs> Mostly um, just kind of like, ooh, I, I think I should keep care of this experimental material. <laughs> harsh, man, harsh. <laughs> um, I've, I was watching some interviews with Viggo Mortensen about uh, <laughs> yeah, dangerous, a dangerous method. method where he plays Freud. And like he's, he's like really positive on the guy. Uh, so, and then uh, Jung goes uh, evil and uh, tries to kill him a number of times over the next few years using his magnet powers. <laughs> it's a cheap joke, but it's one I, one I believe in. Tell me about your presentation. What is your insane guitar hero plan? <laughs> so... The study we we uh, the title we gave for the study was "Walk a Mile in My Shoes: Embodiment and Emotion Matching in Intergroup Relations." So the guys in our group we were all kind of interested in uh, like intergroup stuff, which, as I have declared before, is kind of my thing. And we were starting from the uh, this uh, uh, there's a meta analysis by Pettigrew and Trop, uh, where they talk about empathy as a mediator in kind of intergroup relations. So they they show that. Um, the the positive effects of intergroup contact on attitudes towards like a, people of different race or different religion is mediated by empathy. So you have to have kind of if you have high levels of empathy with the outgroup, then contact is going to be more effective, and it's generally a good thing. Um, however, there's a the way they measured empathy was basically they just gave people a questionnaire which was like how empathic do you feel towards this outgroup which is kind of a bit crude and there's a, a review article by Batson and Ahmad H A H M A D in 2009 where they basically point out how empathy is not a single construct it's this complex multifaceted thing you can have like cognitive or perceptual empathy where you can kind of imagine yourself in someone else's situation or you can also have kind of an affective version of empathy which is where uh, you kind of vicariously experience the emotions of some other individual and this they call a uh, batson and ahmed call emotion matching and this was the thing that we were really interested in because Another study, which one of the guy, uh, guys in the group mentioned, was by someone called Van der Schalk, 
et al. 2011. And this was looking at um, facial, uh, what expressions people pull when they're presented with an image of someone pulling an expression. So they used um, uh, EMG electrodes, which uh, electromyogram, myograph electrodes, I think is what they're called. Uh, yeah. Basically just little electrodes. And you kind of stick them to your face and they measure very, very small muscle twitches. Oh, yeah. Um, and they're often used for in emotion research because there are a couple of muscle groups on the face which kind of indicate very, very small movements towards, say, smiling or frowning. So they can be an indication of um, a kind of implicit indication that someone is experiencing an emotion. Basically, what Van der Schout found was if you present someone with, say, a, say you present a white participant with a picture of a white person who is uh, frowning, then they will frown as well. They'll get these little micro twitches around their, their brow where they're starting to frown. However, if you present them with a black person, a picture of a black person who's frowning, they get kind of almost like the opposite facial expression. They either get fear. I can't remember if it was fear or happiness, but they get one of like a kind of incongruent emotion. Um, and it's not quite as clear cut as that. There's, you know, lots of different responses depending on, what emotion the other person is pulling and all that. But it's this, this general idea that maybe part of the problem in kind of negative intergroup relations is that you're kind of not getting the normal kind of empathic response when you see people uh, expressing emotion. So we wondered if, first of all, we wanted to find out whether this emotion matching idea is key to intergroup differences. And secondly, and more interestingly, we wanted to find out if it were possible to manipulate it. <laughs> Uh, because we're psychologists after all. So the first study that we decided to, to try and run was just to see if this emotion matching, like, was, if we could replicate this kind of uh, difference between emotion matching to in-group and out-group members. So basically, we, we decided what we we're going to do, we we're going to play, uh, like, recorded interviews to participants, and the interviews would... Uh, involve the interviewee describing like an emotional situation, something that has like positive emotional parts and negative emotional parts. And the only difference between the interviews would be in like, they would either declare themselves as an in-group member or an out-group member. So like they might say, my name is John or my name is Muhammad yeah. for the out-group condition. And basically while the participants were listening to these interviews, we'd give them uh, what's called uh, an affect rating dial which is a bit like in uh, like TV or political speeches where you yeah. have like your focus group or watching the, speak and the speech and they have a little dial in front of them which they use to sort of give continuous feedback about how they feel about it. So all the affect rating dial is, is as you're continuously listening to these interviews, participants would be saying whether they feel positive or whether they feel negative. Uh, and so we would expect that for like for in-group members, so when you're listening to an interview of someone who's in your group, that they would probably, their, their emotion should match the content of the story because they would be sort of feeling empathic towards them. What we also therefore predicted was that maybe if the person in the interview is an out-group member, either that the emotional response to the story would be kind of dampened or possibly it just wouldn't happen or maybe it'd even be reversed. So you wouldn't get this kind of empathic response. The, the one advantage of this whole exercise when we're coming up with these studies is we were allowed to make up the results. <laughs> so we were like, that is what happened. 
you definitely get this dampening. So this led us to our study too, where we were going to try and improve this out, uh, emotion matching towards outgroup members to try and make people respond to outgroup members more like they were in-group members. And the way we wanted to do this was this uh, was a concept called embodiment, which is I think we might have we I think we talked about it before, possibly with Ramachandran. It's uh, the the study was. Um, at least the original study that I found was by Strack et al. And it's where if you put a, get someone to hold oh, a pen yeah. in their mouth. In our emotion episode. Yeah, that, that would make sense. Um, when you get someone to put a pen in their teeth so that they kind of pull a smiley face, they actually report, you know, more humorous, more happy responses to things. Whereas if you get them to hold it between their lips so that they're kind of pursed up and they don't respond. There's also another one you can do where you get, you stick two little little dots uh, between someone's eyebrows so they're not touching and then you get the participant to try and make the dots touch which involves you kind of well frowning to pull your eyebrows together and you actually uh, report more kind of negative emotional responses to stimulate them whatever so what we thought was maybe if we could kind of get participants to perform facial expressions that match the emotional content of a story without really being kind of consciously aware that they're matching it, maybe they would kind of learn this emotion matching better. It's a bit of a long shot, but, you know, as I say, we get to make up the results, so let's just do it. So the idea we came up for this was called EMG Hero, <laughs> which is where you attach these EMG electrodes <laughs> to someone's... Was going. Yeah, you attach these EMG electrodes to someone's face, and then you have them listen to the interviews again. And then they have on screen, like, like the Guitar Hero style, continuous like, target that they have to, to hit with their facial expressions. So, you know, if the target is in like the positive uh, side of things, then the participant has to make like positive facial movements. So they have to smile. And then and they have to try and they'll be given like a little, a little indication on the screen of what their, what their facial expression is. And they have to kind of try and match it to this, this ongoing sequence. And basically, in the like, experimental condition, uh, these, these, this target would match with the emotional content of the story. And in the control condition, then there wouldn't be any kind of convergence. Sure. And we thought that this might, like, yeah, this might train people to do, have this emotion matching. And then, obviously, you'd test it back with the original study to see if they, were, they had more kind of congruent emotional responses. Now, I thought this was a really cool idea, but the amount of money that you'd have to put into it to, like, get someone to code a, like, an EMG hero game and all of this stuff would just be ridiculous. So, I mean, unless you could then kind of gamify it, I guess, is the thing. Or if you could execute it, and I'm not saying this is cheaper, on a Kinect, say. It, how sensitive I, is the camera to facial expressions? <laughs> I've heard that you can do that sort of thing. Like, apparently it's more sensitive than is usually used in games. That's what I Like, suspect. if you kind of, if you... Because it's Israeli technology originally, apparently. <laughs> oh, okay. But yeah, appara- so I, I've heard that you can do quite quite advanced stuff with it and so obviously a slightly easier version would be to have like facial recognition software involved. Um... But yeah, I just thought it was a fun idea, really. Um, and what I'm sort of, I, I have this slight feeling that maybe at some point I might try and accidentally present it to my supervisor <laughs> in the hope that he'll be like, oh, Ben, that's an amazing idea. We should totally do that. And I'll be like, do you think so, Miles? Well, okay, then. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, so that was pretty oh. much the uh, the outcome of uh, my little ho- holiday slash work in Australia, watching eleven films, uh, getting very sleepy on a plane, and coming up with a possible new Xbox game. Cool, that's quite <laughs> a good combo. Should Not we bad. say should we say goodbye to our uh, listeners now? We probably could. Have you? <laughs> <laughs> Don't um, worry. Okay, I, the Cylons were created by man. <laughs> I am etc 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 they have a plan I am so worried right now <laughs> bye uh, everyone <laughs> do, Tim do you have any final thoughts I feel like I've been talking a lot uh my my final thoughts are uh 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 uh, uh those are my final thoughts <laughs> okay you're going to have the last word anyway it seems <laughs> uh yes that's correct <laughs> bye everyone <laughs> bye everyone and I'm sorry for what's about to happen you know, I can trace back my podcast genealogy for 11 generations. You know, some suspect that my ancestry even goes back as far as the Bugle. No, surely not. The Bugle had many illegitimate children, but there is no established line. You are not the king of the podcasters. I am. I went down a long line. It even included the great Charisiarch King Psychomedia. No, I cannot believe it. Those podcasts even spawned others yes it is true indeed my genealogy is the pure bloodline of podcasts i rule podcasts i rule the internet (laughs) i think the apology was justified (laughs) i think so sorry everyone goodbye